You are listening to the Hybrid Hospitality Podcast. If you're interested in the trends that are transforming hospitality and want to explore what the future of the industry might look like, then you're in the right place. This podcast is brought to you by Stay the Night, a creative marketing agency working with hospitality businesses around the world who are changing the way people stay, work and play. Hi, I'm Rosie Willen, co-founder of Stay the Night, and in this episode, I'll be speaking with Andrew Lansborough, founder and director of Code. Code is a hybrid hospitality brand that creates multi-purpose spaces for people to stay, work, eat, drink, and socialize all under one roof. As the first brand to introduce pod beds to the UK, Code were ahead of the curve in offering social dorms with a private room feel and all on a budget. They currently operate two sites in Edinburgh, Luxury Hostel The Court and the city's first co-living space, The Loft. In this episode, we hear about the business benefits of pod beds, how code pivoted at a crucial time in the pandemic, and why empowering your team has a real impact on the guest experience. So hi, Andy, welcome to the Hybrid Hospitality Podcast. Hi, Rosie. (laughs) So let's start at the beginning then. How did you come up with the original concept for Code? So it was, it was a long time ago now, 2014. Um, the Ember uh, basically didn't really have, in my opinion, I think a few others as well, a, a cool hostel. And yet there was loads being built around the world and, and loads in Europe. I bought this building initially to do service apartments with, but... I'd stayed in hostels, as most people have who become hostel owners and developers, and thought there was an opportunity to do something cool. So the building really lent itself to it. And then, yeah, I just looked around and took some ideas and implemented some uh, designs. And yeah, the, the first code was born. Yeah, and you were the first to bring the pod concept over from that's obviously very popular in Asia and so what was like the inspiration behind that had you been traveling over there or I had um and that was a bit of inspiration I think that the other thing that I liked about it was what I was wanting to create was something that was quite clean yeah and and quite sophisticated sort of grown-up type uh, hostel and that I would like to stay in if I was um yeah young professional rather than just you know, um, in, in my teenage years, I think there, there's there's a real de- wider demographic of people that stay in hostels now. So mm. that that for me was one of the reasons that it was just appealing. I thought to um, to a wider audience, and uh, it was a nicer, cleaner concept. And then, um, yeah, we know we get a, a large amount of Asian visitors to Edinburgh, so it's uh, it's quite a good idea to try and create something that they'd recognise. Yeah. And so what are the, obviously we, when, when we came over for the court launch, we stayed in the pods and I always say to people, I'm like, I want one at home. So like when I just want a nap in the middle of the day, I'm like, I'm just going in my pod for a bit because they're so comfy. I was quite surprised myself because I'd I'd never stayed in one before staying at Code and I had such a good night's sleep and I was like, okay. So (laughs) what are the main benefits for guests then? Um, yeah, I think it's that privacy element. I sleep really well in them as well. I think um, you just feel like you've got your own little room uh, when you get into it. And, you know, we we provide uh, eye masks and um, ear, uh, ear defenders. So people just, you know, you, you feel like you're in your own little cocoon and uh, it feels nice and safe. You close the curtain and you're, you fall straight to sleep. So 
I think from a guest perspective, it's it's sleep qualities, just that that bit better and that privacy aspect as well. Like I know, you know, especially now with maybe 10 years ago or certainly over 10 years ago, people did sit with their iPads and iPhones with the light buzzing in, in, a, in the middle of a shared dorm. But you do now. I mean, I, I'm just as guilty of it. I'll be scrolling through my phone in the middle of the night or when I wake up in the morning and you don't need to worry about waking anyone up. So, yeah. Now, I've had some dorm horror stories in my time traveling. There was a guy once who was in our dorm who used to just play the guitar in the middle of the night. Called <laughs> David. We're still friends on Facebook. I don't know how, but I was like, really? Just like start playing the acoustic guitar in the middle of the night. So I don't know if you could do that in a pod, but yeah, that's absolutely. You do feel like you've got that private space much more than a bunk bed, I'd say. Yeah. From a business perspective, then with the pods, what are the business benefits as well? The biggest one is that you get um you charge slightly higher rate for the for the pod and therefore that gets you a slightly better quality of guest. And then that just all feeds back into the kind of you know uh flywheel of the positive business because you've got good guests paying higher rates, getting better reviews, and it's just a just a, an all-round positive experience. So um they, they also cost a lot more than traditional bunk beds, but um I'd say the the return uh, is is pretty quantifiable. It's pretty strong. Yeah, and I can imagine because the biggest, you have quite a big shared room in the cart, right? But obviously because it's pods, because that could usually put people off if it was like 20 bunk beds or something, I'd always be like, yeah. no. But because it's the pods, you've still got that kind of privacy. And so we started working together just before the car opened. And that's a luxury hybrid hostel, let's call it, building on the Royal Mile, it's an amazing building. And I know when we first started speaking, you were really keen on the heritage of the building. I think when we first met, you were showing me things that you'd found yeah. that were like of the history of the building. And so in what ways have you kind of honoured that heritage with with the concept? Um, yeah, I, mean, I could talk for days about <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, so in every way possible, I think we've tried to. And um, like, if you just take a walk around the building, you can see that we've kept all the original prison doors and we've got uh, some of the prison walls with the graffiti still open for everyone to see what they were writing on the last hundred years. We've got signs up that um, there's some amazing engineering uh, when the building was built. It was the same uh, mechanical engineer who did the heating and ventilation that did uh, the Balmoral and the Queen's home. And uh, like you just go back through the drawings and what they did and how they did it. It was phenomenal. So we've got lots of signs and stories up around the building about that. And then and then even underneath the building um, is where we've got the vaults. And we, we went back through all the history maps to find out which close it was that was sitting underneath our building. And it's it could be a number of them. It could be Hangman's Close. Um, it could be uh, Old Royal Bank Close. And... Um, I think Stein's close is the other one that it could be. So like the history is amazing. And we've just, we've kept that and all the cool vaults underneath. We do like whiskey and beer tastings down there. Yeah. Every opportunity we get to kind of highlight the history of the building. Like we've got all the judges, all law books and the judges chair and uh, yeah, everything, every, everywhere you turn, you'll see a part of the history of the building. Yeah. And it's something that I think guests really respond to, to see kind of, especially a building like that with so much history. I remember we did a 
Halloween campaign where we would do it on social media and we yeah. were researching the people who'd been locked up there and we got way too into it. And I was like, this is freaking me out now. Like, we're gonna... But I think people, um, guests really like to see that kind of, that history. And so you, you mentioned there the Lost Close briefly, but for, for our listeners, can you tell us more about that and kind of how that worked? Yeah, yeah sure. So when we were developing the building, underneath there were some old locations where they kept a lot of the old mechanical electrical equipment that because of new technology you don't need anywhere near as much as that space now so um we started researching the building and it was it was destroyed that whole area parliament square was destroyed in a big fire in 1824 and so prior to that that was a really fundamental location for uh, where people met so John's Coffee House is on that location, and that's where David Hume and Adam Smith used to meet for coffee. Just the more and more you read about it, the more amazing the history is. And what what we worked out was there was an archway that showed that people would walk down the stairs and then turn left, and then would go into Fish Market Close. And it had all been bricked up. There were still areas that you could see that were the closest, so we just created areas to drink in, areas to sit and socialise in, and we're still upgrading it every uh, every possible opportunity yeah it's a great fun place to to hang out and and, um, and for people to meet each other so I know that side of things has obviously been a lot trickier over the last year in terms of the social side of hostels yeah um, and I know that you code's really popular with solo travelers so how do you facilitate that connection between guests when they're traveling alone because that's really important it can get lonely and that's kind of what hostels are about yeah, and I think um, that it is creating events that anyone can turn up to, you know, morning, middle of the day, evening, so that there's always an opportunity for other people to meet each other. It has definitely been tougher over the past year. We've had to reduce what initially do nothing, and then now we're just slowly bringing it back in terms of capacity of what we're allowed. So, um, yeah, it's, but what, when we were trading normally, and hopefully we get back to that pretty soon, Generally, we find it's about creating events that people can um, meet each other on. And then quite often they'll, they'll start, whether it's after a walking tour in the morning or whether it's after an evening tasting, they'll, they'll go out together and, and become friends. And uh, yeah, you hear lots of really great stories. Yeah. And so I feel like that your team are a big part of that. And like Codes Reviews are often people raving about the staff and we get that also on the social channels. Um, whenever we post anything about the staff, it's like it booms because people love it. And so why do you think it's important for the team to be such a big part of the guest experience with a hostel? Yeah, I think it effectively when you, I guess it's a, a big difference to you stay in a, a hostel via hotel. Like mm-hmm. When you stay in a hostel, it's, it's the closest thing to staying in somebody's home and, you know, the staff treat it as their home in terms of wealth, the way they welcome guests and, and the people they meet. And, you know, I think uh, one of the key things is just it feels really, really welcoming and that you're meeting somebody who, you know, wants you to have a good experience and and is really proud of where they work as well. So it's just very different. We don't, you know, we don't have like a corporate training program we have we basically try and attract people who are happy friendly welcoming and then and when you put them all together you get, get a, a nice magic mix and and it, and it shows as you see it shows in the guest reviews yeah definitely and I feel like the team also 
seem to love working at Code and they they keep that connection even when they've moved on. So again, with this, through the social media and things like that, they always comment and they keep like that brand affinity. So from an operator perspective, what advice would you give in terms of operators who are looking to create that kind of family vibe with their staff? It can potentially get harder the bigger you get. You know, at our size, it's just creating a great team and giving them autonomy to, you know, to to meet, to socialise, putting events on for your team and just, you know, supporting people rather than we're not dogmatic in our business. We, you know, we encourage new ideas and and, and we encourage new events. And uh, I guess the way we've positioned ourselves and the people that we've got in the business, we keep attracting the right people. And um, and it's great. Yeah, it's really nice from our perspective as an agency working with the team because we have the WhatsApp group and everyone throws ideas in there and it's just a nice kind of two-way thing. So let's talk then about the loft. So this was your first hostel. And during the course of the pandemic, you've transformed that into a co-living space. Why did you opt for that model? There's a number of reasons, but the first one was we could see that guests, um, there's a, there a, a certain um, sector of guests that are needing longer stay accommodation. You know, people can travel anywhere, people are completely locked down. Mm. And we, we had a number of guests who needed somewhere to stay across both buildings. And it made far more sense to have them all located in our smaller building rather than kind of rattling around in, in the bigger one. And, and then the next thing that became apparent was we didn't need any reception staff because we weren't, we didn't have any high turnover anymore. And, and we, they were you know, initially on furlough and, and, but it became you know pretty clear that, uh, that there, there wasn't going to be a need for that long-term. So we removed the reception to create a bigger lounge area mm. so that co-living guests could, could use it. Um, so we've got a you know, much nicer, bigger space now. And yes, it's, it's, worked, uh, it's worked well in terms of, the, you know, we've got a good cohort of, of longer-term stays and uh, mixed in with some shorter-term. We've got a much better common area. And, uh, and it was just, it was just obvious that there was a, a demand for it and uh, we just had it to we, quite proud of the team. We jumped on it pretty quickly and then, you know, refurbished the, the ground floor area pretty quickly to make sure that it worked for everybody. Yeah, it was a really quick pivot. It was great. And I suppose there's a lot of parallels between hostels and co-living because it's centred around community and bringing people together. So it lends itself well if you already had have that embedded in the brand. And so your focus at The Loft is on kind of shorter term co-living so more digital nomads people who are on the move rather than longer term residents who are going to stay for years and years um what do you anticipate that the demand will be for those kind of concepts in the months ahead sort of coming out of the pandemic as people are able to work from anywhere well i think that's yeah you just hit the nail on the head they can work from anywhere and so i mean again i i think it'll be big and from my personal point of view, having worked from my house for a large part of this, you know, you can do plenty of video calls, but your energy starts to be sapped, I think. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you need to be on the move. You need to be in different locations just to get, just to feel good. It's good for, it gives your brain to see different things. So I think that there'll be a huge demand for it because um, it's going to, get people energized again, get people working from different locations. And I don't think that, uh, I don't know that everybody wants to be working from 
the same bedroom for the next, you know, five years. It just, it's not, I just don't think it's very good and, and I don't think it's uh, healthy and, and motivating. No, I've seen into more people's spare bedrooms over the past year <laughs> than I care to ever again, really. But um, no, that's absolutely right. I think we use a co-working space. And while that's been closed, it has been, it's tough. Like, because working from, just because you can work from home, I don't think people are going to want to work from their actual homes. And I think young people especially will see it as an opportunity to travel and kind of, oh, I'm going to go and sample that city for three months and that city for three months. And so it's quite an exciting time. And so in future projects for code then, are you looking towards like mixed use developments, like this kind of hybrid trend? Yeah, definitely. I think what we want to do is just make sure that the building can cater to each sector quite well. I think that, you know, there's obviously low periods and high periods of demand from from both, you know, digital nomads and short-stay travellers, long-stay travellers. I think, you know, you've, you get a, a huge wide mix of demand and it's trying to create a building um, that can meet uh, all that demand at different times of the year and and likewise we have a team uh, a really strong team at head office that can uh, make sure that we're always um, reacting to it uh, really well. Yeah and why do you think hybrid concepts and mixed-use developments are attractive from an investment perspective? I think that there's a number of reasons but coming back to that point about reacting to the different times of the market, peaks and troughs and, and demand. So, you know, if you do a 12-month stay, you're fixed at, generally fixed at one rate for that 12 months and that one customer, whereas there's lots of different types of customers throughout the year and we have the capability to market, price and uh, operate for every different type of customer and therefore your revenue per square foot dramatically increases and because you're able to diversify and move with the, the demand and, and the season. So that's, I think from a, you know, an investor point of view, if you see, if you're signing up for a long-term rents, then you've got no idea, especially with the way people talk about inflation, whether you've priced that part of your property uh, properly. Whereas you can be pretty sure that working on a kind of open model hybrid concept, you're always getting market pricing uh, weekly, daily um, and monthly. So I think um, I think that's important for investors. And, uh, and I think going forward, it will be more and more common. Yeah. And so the court has and the loft to a degree as well has a kind of area where you can do co-working. Would you ever go the membership co-working route in future or do you think you'll keep it open for kind of a more casual approach i think we'll keep it open um i think that there's so many good um competitive concepts out there and you know as a business we need to keep in front of mind what we're good at and what we know well and certainly that's more rooms and pods and uh and creating you know uh good events, programs and things like that. And uh, I think that if we, you know, went down the focus of uh, pure co-working, um, I think there's um, there's a lot of other really strong uh, operators there. And then, um, yeah, we want to kind of focus and, and, and keep doing what we do best. Yeah, definitely. And so there's a lot of 
hotel brands who are now moving into this space of selling experiences, having activities on site. How much do you think the hybrid concept has been inspired by the hostel industry? Yeah, I think think hugely. um, The hotels are looking for differentiators now and it's... uh, it's more and more competitive market out there. Um, and I think experiences are clearly the, the way to go. So there's so much uh, crossover between um, hotels, hostels, retail, office now mm. that um, you know they're all crossing over and, uh, and everybody's got a foot in different camps. But I think it's just constantly um, trying to work out what the customer wants and and cater to it. Um, so I think that it's never a bad thing when hotels do things like that because one, the professionalism, which uh, is always good, but two, the software moves with it as well. That's what we notice is once uh, the hotel market picks into it, then um, you know, our SaaS software improves and, um, and there's better and better uh, facilitators out there. Yeah. No, definitely. And just touching on technology a little bit, can you talk about how you use new technologies at Code and what you think about balancing tech with the guest experience? Because I know that obviously there's been a big move towards contactless check-in and checking in without seeing anybody, but it's like, what's the payoff for that, I suppose, from a hospitality perspective? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think, um, you know, there's there's always going to be uh, a good reason to have really good staff on site uh, coming back to the point made earlier about welcoming mm. people when they arrive and they always mention um, our staff when they're you know when they're giving us strong reviews so it's freeing up time for for our staff to, to to have that you know special touch and special conversation with the guest because the administration part is is taken over is done by the software but I think another key part about software is just making sure that um, all guests are aware of everything that is available. If it comes down to you relying on uh, the check-in staff to make sure that every guest is fully aware of everything that's going on and everything that's available in the hostel or in the surrounding area, that's going to be pretty hard to implement. Um, and you're probably going to get a pretty inconsistent picture for, for guests. Whereas if you can use software to deliver that, then uh, guests can pick and choose, you know, what to what to join in and what to see while they're staying. I think that that's a really strong part of software is just those notifications of what's available. Yeah, and I think it's another really strong thing, especially with hostel teams. I've found they tend to know the neighbourhood and the city really well and have that kind of insider like the local tips that guests are looking for. But just speaking about cities, so obviously the pandemic's had such a negative effect on hospitality across the board, but I'd say that cities have been the hardest hit from a tourism point of view. Um, What do you think the key is then to attracting people back for city breaks during this time? Um, That's quite a big question. Yeah, it is. I'm like, on you, Andy, how do we... Yeah, I don't know if I'm fully capable of fixing (laughs) cities, but, um, well, it's interesting. You see, uh, like, New York's now buzzing again by all accounts. Mm -hmm. And London is not, and that I think that's uh, to do with the way our two two separate governments have approached, you know, either scaring or encouraging uh, public back into spaces. So, um, I think that 
the reason people go to hostels is to meet other people. Mm. And the biggest diverse range of people you can meet are generally found in cities. So, yeah, I think that cities will, will come back and bounce back fairly quickly. And I think that young people in particular aren't scared of going back into cities. So I don't think cities have a problem. I think that um, the government's, <laughs> our government has a problem. Which is probably uh, a whole different podcast we could do. About. <laughs> exactly. But hopefully that'll change soon. Yeah. Um, and I- I suppose with Edinburgh, you have the advantage of having all the natural beauty like right on the doorstep. So if people are wanting to have more outdoor experiences, you've kind of got the best of both worlds in a city like Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. I think it's uh, fundamentally what, you know, everybody's been um, restricted uh, in the last 12 to 18 months as to what, what suits them. But from a mental health point of view, I would say social interactions been uh, really restricted and really important for, you know, your own mental health and, you know, being out in the wide open green spaces is, uh, if you've been able to, has been great, but, um, you know, solitude's not everything. Uh, no. The reason why they put prisoners into solitary confinement is punishment. <laughs> we're back on the, we're back on the prison vibe, but no, I know it was, it's, it has been tough and I think, for young people especially who are used to kind of that going out and meeting people I think at one point for about three months when we were locked down the only person I spoke to was like the guy who worked in Sainsbury's and the guy who worked in the veg shop and I think I was annoying the guy who worked in the veg shop in the end he was like just buy your stuff and because I was like making small talk because it was like the only interaction but kind of putting the pandemic behind us if we can soon hopefully (laughs) what's in store for code for the next 12 months Good question. I, I think uh, we're seeing more opportunities to put the, the code concept in. We've looked at smaller sites, larger sites. Larger sites generally work better for, for what we've just spoken about in terms of being able to cater to different variety of guests. There's definitely going to be people that come to the end of this year because this year hasn't been any easier than the last. And, you know, potentially want to move on and um I think there's going to be opportunities that'll come out of that, but we're seeing new opportunities in in the UK, mainland Europe, some in the US. The problem that we have right now is that we can't travel to them. And so as soon as we can, I think deals will get done and we'll be starting to announce new sites, which would be great. Um, But until uh, until we can actually go see them, touch them, walk around the buildings, uh, you're just not going to make a whole new investment of, of, of the space of... Uh, emails and phone calls yeah but I think it's an exciting time and in cities especially because what's going to happen to all the office space as well like that's going to be an interesting thing going forward yeah yeah definitely and I think that there's you know if we can get planning right there's an opportunity to do lots of hybrid uh, options there with you know either with an F&B partner downstairs or with an office partner in the building really interesting JV concepts and um, where code can, can fit in nicely and be, be the accommodation concept to match. Yeah, as long as you don't get rid of the waffles. <laughs> no, <laughs> the exactly. waffles. People are obsessed with the waffles. It's like... <laughs> yeah, the waffles, are, the waffles are great. My son loves the waffles too. <laughs> they, um, I'll, I'll never, we'll never get rid of the waffles. They'll always be available. <laughs> I'll, I'll put that on the record for guests just so they know because everyone always mentions them. I suppose we can wrap up now, but seeing as I've got you here, we've been working together for nearly two years. So 
Who's your favourite Stay the Night team member? I was going to open with that and then I thought, no. Um, no, thanks so much, Andy. That's been great. For those listening who want to find out more about Code, you can visit www.codehostels.com. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Hybrid Hospitality Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe if you'd like to be the first to hear about new episodes. We'd love it if you could leave a rating. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do so. Just search Stay the Night on LinkedIn or head to at Stay the Night Co over on Instagram. For more information about what we do, visit www.staythenight.net. Until next time, thanks for listening.